The Incomparable t-shirts are back on sale, but only until June 29th. Go to theincomparable.com slash shirt for details. On this run, we're selling you the Incomparable robot and the full Incomparable logo. Check it out, theincomparable.com slash shirt. The Incomparable. Number 412. June 2018. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I am your host, Jason Snell, and in this episode, we're going to talk about sort of like part two of our discussion of liked science fiction and fantasy novels, because we did our Nebulas episode where we read, count them, seven novels uh, for that episode. One, two, three, episode. four, five, six, seven. Yep, that's it. Erica Ensign does not get to count. <laughs> she didn't go on nope. the... Instead, you're here for the, count them, six Hugo, <laughs> one, two, three, Novels. four, five, six. Good job. Oh. Well, of which there are only what three in common? I think three in common between the two lists. So mm-hmm. um, there's 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 books to talk about. We're going to talk about books. Maybe we'll mention some short fiction too. And uh, I should also mention, as I introduce her, Erica Ensign is here. She is also a Hugo nominee again. Hello, and a Hugo oh, yeah, winner right. of the past, and now a nominee again. Uh, for uh, Uncanny Magazine. Hello. And Verity. And Verity. Are you double nominee this year? I am, yeah. <sighs> yep. That's me tooting my own horn. Yep. Good job. We're not going to talk about those nominees. No, please don't. Not going to do it. <laughs> not going to do it. Although there's some un- uncanny uh, fiction nominees that maybe we'll talk about at least briefly. True. Um, Scott McNulty is also here. He read all the books and doesn't remember any of them. Hi, Scott. Uh, hello, Jason. I am not... I continue my streak of not being nominated yeah. for a Hugo Award for both. anything. That's good. It's it's fine. Mm-hmm. You, you don't it's have to fine. be nominated. No. And even if I were nominated, uh, I would I would decline the nomination. Oh, interesting. Wow. Magnanimous. Mm-hmm. Yes. I'm too good for the Hugo. Uh, interesting. <laughs> I see. I see. Well, anyway, Erica is also here. I'm not. Aline <laughs> Sims is also here. Not a not Hi. a Hugo uh, nominee. Hi. No, I'm not. I'm not nominated for things. I'm just here. That's okay. That's yeah, okay. You're reading. You're books. not just anything. Uh, you you you're on this on this podcast, and we read books. I am, and those are the, that's the most important. Thing. Mm-hmm. I love these podcasts. So um, we're gonna. You know, I realize now that I should have prepared better. By which I mean I should have gone to random.org <laughs> uh-huh. and Uh-oh. randomly selected the order in which we will uh, we will look at the books. And so I'm going to do that right now live on the podcast. How about that? <gasps> oh, da, boy. Da, this, da, is, da, this is the magic. There it is. Podcast sausage being made. We <laughs> have a list. So let's uh, mm. talk about the books in the order in which random.org has, a, has just assigned them. And that means we have to talk first about Provenance by Anne Leckie. This Ooh. is set in the universe of the Ancillary series that was a big... We've read them all on this podcast, and it was a big award winner and nominee nomination getter. But this is a... It's a different book. It is... Uh, because it's not... You wouldn't nominate the same book again because it wouldn't be eligible. <laughs> um, so this is set in that universe, but it's uh, different characters and a uh, different story and um, I'm trying to remember because I read this. I, I think I read this when it came out, and this was like there's a uh, there's like a a, a, a mystery um, about the, there's this uh, there's this kind of long game that this this woman is playing, and she's like a uh, an heir to this powerful family that's uh, down on this uh, on this planet, and there are like um, there are like weird people who want to 
di- like dig up a park or something for their own purposes. Oh yeah, it's this book. <laughs> yeah, you know this book now. Is it, mm-hmm. is it coming into focus? It's, I honestly was like, what happened in Providence? And I only read it a few weeks back. Yeah, and she's so. she's she's like on the outs with her mom because she feels like her mom always favored her brother, who is going to be the heir, and she was set. Uh, she sent away. Um, basically to be, to be like uh, banned forever. Right. Is, isn't that the idea? And then she, no, no, she takes somebody no. who's been banned forever. Yeah. She breaks him out of his like permanent prison. And the prison is like a, pl- a planet where they just throw everybody on and say, good luck suckers and leave them it's, there. It's the Australia of this universe. Yeah. <laughs> city alpha five and they so it's in the, so it's in the same universe but you know then she has to uh like it's kind of like a, a scam a little bit although she kind of figures some stuff out along the way and a character gets murdered and she has to there's a lot of like rain and car rides and walking through the rain and getting <laughs> everybody gets muddy at a bunch of points and i actually think uh i actually think it's kind of fun um the the uh, I think Anne Lucky does a good job. I always remember these kind of atmospheric weather scenes from her books because I remember this in Ancillary Justice too, um, at the beginning when when it's kind of snowy and and miserable and she's mm-hmm. dragging a the main character mm-hmm. dragging a guy through the streets of this uh, you know out of the way city and here it's the, I remember like the slogging through the mud at the park where the weirdos want to build their weird temple or whatever and it's cut, there's kind of a con game going on. I don't know. Um, that's the, so now that's my really half formed summary of what the heck happened in Providence. Uh, and does anybody want to share their feelings about Providence? Uh, now that I remember which book mm-hmm. it is, um, I, I, I feel like the title is not as descriptive no. as some of the other titles, which is why I forgot. It wasn't because I didn't How about enjoy the book. <laughs> Ancillary Providence. Does that? Because nope. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I actually, I, I quite liked it. There's, it seems like Anne Leckie is very good at, she, she's really got this whole universe in her head, sort of the way it works. So there's a lot of politicking and jockeying for position. And, you know, the main character is, is at odds, as you said, with her, with her brother to see who's going to actually be the heir and I, I there were there were times where I felt like I wasn't following the politics as closely as the characters in the book were following it um, mm-hmm. but but that didn't really bother me too much. I was able to just sort of hang with it and and go because the characters all seemed very very well fleshed out and, and interesting to me. I I you know the uh, the person that she springs out of out of 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 compassionate jail is uh it's just like this this cipher most of the way through but by the end you know you don't feel like you know them necessarily all that much better but but better enough that uh that I, just, I really liked that character even though we didn't really find out a whole lot about and them. he's really broken because he was like raised as a sample human by aliens and so, which which is, I, I feel like that's the place where this the book is cl- most closely tied in with the um, ancillary series is because we've seen this, you know, like these aliens and their weird, like human envoys that they send. And I, I think that was his history, right? Was, was he not? That was the, that was a different character. Those, oh, was the, those are the two that sort of, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. The, uh, yeah. The captain of the uh, Oh, no, you're the right. Ship. The captain of the ship mm-hmm. where, where she, she spirits this guy, the, the prisoner away, the captain who's an interesting character, uh, that captain was uh yeah raised by aliens in a weird um like like human farm <laughs> somewhere 
Earth is a human farm. Mm. But in, yes. in science fiction, other places could be human farms. What? Yeah, it's a uh, yeah. My memory of it is that it's yeah, it's kind of like heisty, and there's like some con artistry, and there's double crosses, and it it manages to have um, you know spaceships and space stations and stuff like that. And there's a the, the climax and robots. The climax is up where there's like they're like up at the top of the space elevator, right? Is that right? And they're and they have to go outside mm-hmm. and back inside and stuff like that that's part of it yeah 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 Yeah, i um thinking about it it doesn't sound that interesting but the and i i do have to say like (laughs) i did not like the imperial imperial uh ratch radach i don't know series like i yeah i didn't like it (laughs) the imperial radish series did not (laughs) like it at all like I read all three books. I forced myself to read them. And when Providence was released, I was like, I'm not reading that, like (laughs) not touching it. And then it was nominated for a Hugo. And I was like, well, I guess Uh. I'm reading it. And I loved it. Um, I Uh think part of it, this is one of the books that I read with my ears. So the Mm. narrator was amazing. Um, So if you're one of those people who really is into like audible books, get it on audible because it was amazing. So I don't know how much of that is playing into it, but I I just really enjoyed it. I thought it was kind of, it was fun and it was interesting and it had intrigue, but I didn't feel like I was confused the entire time. Like I did the trilogy. Um, And I, I thought it was a really solid pick. I like it a lot. Mm-hmm. Another thing that she did in uh, in this book, which was a little different from the the ancillary series, uh, in the ancillary series, because the point of view character. Uh, their their natural language was a language which did not discriminate between male and female. Uh, everybody in the book was just mostly referred to as her and she. Um, and in this book, they actually have three different. Um, I, I don't know if genders is, is actually the right term, but you know they have the he and he and her, and then um, e and ear, which I don't. How is it pronounced actually in the audiobook? Yes. That's it. Just like that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Which I, I just, I really liked it. It seemed like as I was reading, it didn't, it didn't trip me up as much as some, um, as some other different gender pronouns have, which isn't a, a bad thing. It's not a reason not to use them. I just really particularly liked the way that these words, because when I read, even when I'm not listening to something, like I say the words in my head, that's just my method of reading and it just, it flowed really smoothly. And I liked, I liked having, um, having, having those gender pronouns as uh as just as part of the fabric of this world it just felt really natural yeah and i also appreciate that the, one of the the things about it was that uh people choose they declare their yes. gender right so they come of age and then they declare their gender and they pick their name and then you know ta-da um and i also appreciated having that in kind of a mainstream science fiction mm-hmm. novel it's like a grown-up gender reveal party yeah exactly oh. <laughs> <laughs> a robot comes out and shoots a, a forest and the f- color of the flames <laughs> reveals the gender something like that this is tradition scott mm-hmm. what, what did you read uh, on this one um, I I read this one. Yes, good. Uh, I can confirm that because it's it's a good read, so that means right, I read good. it. Uh, I did like so. Uh, Anne Leckie um, is very good at uh, world building, uh, as was previously mentioned, and with the kind of the details that she does. So this uh, society that she's built uh, gives uh, people collect significant 
things that happen during uh, events, right? So like invitations and uh, other kinds of things that I suppose people nowadays collect as well uh but they are like super into it uh and the the one of the characters the one that i think if i'm remembering correctly the one that gets sprung from the prison planet uh was a forger uh and so that makes it interesting Mm -hmm. he creates these forgeries and this critical thing that they're all uh, very excited about which i forget what it was but he's like oh that they're all obsessed with artifacts from the past like boring Mm -hmm. artifacts from the past is like the best thing to collect Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And he, uh, this character creates brand new boring artifacts from the past. Uh, so, and I thought that was an interesting kind of twist on it. Um, I did, I will say that, um, I, and this is the problem with these kinds of books. Uh, the first, uh, Ancillary Justice book was mind blowing, uh, to me at least just because I hadn't read anything quite like it and I, I loved it. Uh, and then, the successive books were less mind blowing because I was used to it and now it existed in my head. So it was not as, uh, earth shattering. Uh, and this book seems it's telling a much smaller story mm-hmm. than the other, uh, trilogy, uh, which is not a slight against it. It's just that it just feels a little lighter than the others. Uh, so I didn't, it didn't click with me as much, but I still enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, the stakes aren't the universe. It's just, but it was know. a fun book. It is. A, it is kind of coming of age and kind of, uh, or I mean, because the main character, although although of age, is like it, there's this question of like earning your inheritance and and mm-hmm. like how the, how how she's going to connect to her parent and what right. she's going to inherit. And then you've got the uh, and then you've got yeah, you've got the heist and you've got the kind of uh, you know uh, there's like back and forths and little twists and all all of that that uh it's fun. It, it feels very much like um and Lecky wanted to write this kind of uh, sci-fi heist ish story and she built this whole universe for the ancillary books so why not set it there and the, the fact that the mm-hmm. the captain of the ship is this really interesting character um who was not raised was raised around humans but was you know raised by aliens basically for their own purposes and and uh and doesn't want to go back and that that, that they say th- that he belongs to them and it's that that's a, just an interesting <laughs> little aside that happens in this too so yeah i think it's fun it's it's not um yeah it, it obviously it took me a little bit to kind of like jog my memory about it but i remember it being fun not mind-blowing as you said scott but not trying to be like I, I feel like getting out from under that first trilogy and just setting a story in that universe makes it kind of more um easy to accept that it's not going to be ancillary justice mm-hmm. yeah i agree all right but good it's a good book and lucky she's good it's a good book I like her books. Mm-hmm. She she's got a future in she's, this business yeah. that Anne Lucky. <laughs> yeah. Big step there. Big statement. <laughs> All right, let's move on to book number 2 is chosen randomly which is 6 Wakes by Mer Lafferty. Now this is one of those Nebula nominees. Didn't win. Mm. But it was one of the nominees. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, I believe what we said, because all of us but Erica were on that episode, I believe mm-hmm. what we said about it was, or, well, I'm not going to put words in other people's mouths, I found it fine, and yet was a little bit baffled about why anyone thought that it was worthy of being nominated for an award, let alone two awards. Um, but what this is, is it's a murder mystery on a generation ship where people wake up, and they only remember basically departing for the generation ship, but in fact, uh, several decades have passed. And their clone bodies have been reawakened, but without the memories of the last 
20 years or whatever that they've been on the spaceship, which, you know, they really should have. And they are, they're aged 15 or 20 years or whatever bodies are all in various states of having been murdered. And so people have to solve the mystery of how they themselves were murdered <laughs> in space. Plus there's a, uh, the, the computer's been locked out and there's a, one of the people actually survived, but they're unconscious and in a coma and may never regain, um, regain, uh, uh, wakefulness. And so, you know, that, that's a question that's there. And that's, I mean, that's basically the high concept here. It is a murder mystery in space with the ultimate locked room, which is a generation ship. And the twist is that the victims are also the people who are theoretically trying to solve the solve the crime. I think the actual the sort of higher concept behind it, which is the reason that I liked it so much, was the sort of examination of what it means to be human versus being a clone. Because all of these people had, you know, they, they wake up as, as clones of their previous selves who had been murdered. But those previous selves were also clones. And and there's a lot of sort of back and forth in time. You're, you're, you're with these characters learning what they're learning at the same time as they're learning it. But then you're also getting flashbacks to how they... Uh, joined this ship this expedition in the first place and that uh, that sort of deep dive into the past goes a lot into sort of the the politics and the evolution of of laws around uh, cloning technology and 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 you know whether or not you have rights as a clone and and whether you can clone yourselves this many times and that's that is one of my favorite things in science fiction i just this was one of my favorite of all of the books because i love that kind of stuff so much and i love murder mysteries and i love stories where the characters are just as in the dark as you are and you get to find stuff out along with them and i like stories where you know you're dipping back in time and kind of moving around um to, to slowly reveal things and you know i i I'm not going to say it was like the most skillfully done example of that particular type of storytelling, but it was it was it was good enough for me, and I really really liked it. <laughs> if it's good enough for Erica, it's good enough well, for me. That's why I got nominated. <laughs> clearly, now we know that that's why. No, I totally see your point. That that's right. There is the idea of the clones. It's the story is told in flashback too. That they're like it's like um, Lost or something like that, where you've got mm-hmm. the present day storyline, and then you've got these character flashbacks where you slowly learn the backstory of all the characters who are on the ship and where they came from and how they came to be recruited for this mission because the idea is that most of the generation's ship is asleep it's basically you know they're the they're the ones who are on the maintenance crew where they're going to live their lives and be cloned and live for a very long time taking care of the ship this crew of what is it six people i think right six wakes so mm-hmm. um that is that is the 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 kind of backdrop and that's the way the storytelling is set up and um that's interesting because as you go you start to notice like hmm these characters have this character in common oh they all have Mm -hmm. this character in common that's probably Uh, super oh there we go like yeah and that that is the unraveling their history their backstory actually once you put it together reveals what's going on or at least a lot of what's going on in the mystery which was which was a fun way to do it yeah, I, I liked it too. Um, I was, and I think I said this when we recorded the Nebula episode, but I was annoyed because I found like a lot of typos and a lot of what I would have considered like editing errors. And so every time I saw one of those, I thought, I wish I was a beta reader so I could have like fixed this or something. Um, <laughs> so I, I did have those moments and those kind of pulled me out a little bit. But if you're not a person who, uh, pays attention to that kind of thing, but I always read books and I'm looking at, um, 
like the way things sound in my head, kind of like Erica said, but like sentences. So like, how do these sentences come together and how are they formed? So sometimes there were, you know, like several repeated words and it just sounded inelegant to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's kind of like a nitpick and a thing that I'm looking for in, you know, the books I love. And it, it didn't mean it wasn't a good book. It just was something that kind of took me out. Yeah, I would say that I, I enjoyed this, the concept and the story, but the writing uh, was not noteworthy. Yeah. Does that make fair. sense? Yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll go with that, too. I, I don't I, I every time I talk about it, I come across I, fe- I fear as as being like uh, negative about it. And I'm not negative about it. I, I while I I didn't think that it it's jumped out at me as something that's like, let me nominate this for an award. Um, I enjoyed reading it. It was fun. I like, I also like mysteries and locker room mysteries and spaceships. And, you know, there's a lot of good stuff in here for that. And it is a pretty good mystery and you do learn a lot. And there are a lot of uh, fascinating kind of twists along the way. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's fun. It's, it's, it's a good book, um, that has a bunch of different angles that, um, that surprised me. So, uh, yeah, I think, I think that what, what, what have we not said about six We're waiting weeks? for the, the sequel, Seven Wakes? Seven Wakes. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> oh, no, it's Six Sleeps. Sorry. Six Sleeps. Oh. Oh. It's a little slower. <laughs> this episode of The Incomparable is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. You know, hiring used to be really hard. Multiple job sites, stacks of resumes, a really confusing review process. I was a manager for many, many, many years. I hired a lot of people. It was one of the things I liked the least about what I had to do for my job as a manager. It was terrible. The good news is that today hiring can be a whole lot easier and you only have to go to one place to get that job done. And that is ZipRecruiter. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Snell. You won't be recruiting me, but you're going to get a special deal. ZipRecruiter sends your job to more than 100 of the web's leading job boards. You submit to one place, it goes to 100, more than 100 places. And that's not all. ZipRecruiter has powerful matching technology. It scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. So they're going to hear that a job that fits them is available. So you're not just putting it out there into the ether and hoping somebody notices. ZipRecruiter is proactive. It's so effective, 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. You're not going to be waiting around. With results like that, no wonder ZipRecruiter is the highest rated hiring site in America. You can try ZipRecruiter for free using this exclusive web address, the one I already gave you once. I'm going to give it to you again right now. ZipRecruiter.com slash Snell. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash S-N-E-L-L. Thanks to ZipRecruiter for supporting the show. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. All right, we'll move on to the next of the uh, of the novels which is Raven Stratagem by Yoon Ha Lee the sequel to Nine Fox Gambit which we read last year now this is I don't even uh, how how am I going I I did just read this how am I going <laughs> to describe this this is a book that's the sequel to the previous book so at the end of the previous book <laughs> there was a main character who had a legendary general's mind who had been stored in basically like a hard drive for a while uh called the black cradle and he gets inserted in her brain and so she sees him and hears him and he's trying to give her advice and she's kind of struggling with who she is and 
and gets tasked with this mission of being the receptacle for this guy. And at the end of that, there's this sort of like they come together and what what's the what's what's the result of that and and who is the person that that is the result of him kind of like being kind of eradicated but kind of being integrated and in raven stratagem the the book is about kind of like what that character then does which is assume command of a fleet sort of by um acting important and uh (laughs) fighting some battles and meanwhile all of the other kind of like elements in this star empire are trying to figure out a way to stop the general from the the um from the doing whatever he's doing which is actually fighting against their enemies but they're worried it'll make him too popular and then he'll try to take over the empire so they want to stop him um including a, a character who is sort of kicked out uh leaves uh when he takes over when the general takes over the uh the swarm because uh because that that character doesn't believe that they're uh legitimate and uh and there's like a hexarch which is one of the kind of ruling six characters from the empire and they've got their own little uh kind of like scheming that they're doing so there's political machinations there's some psychological machinations within the fleet within the swarm um and there is also this kind of super weird overarching that extends from the last book idea of calendrical warfare which is that the actual which i think is a really cool idea it's like the actual laws of physics in in the universe are able to be changed if you do these certain things involving changing the calendar which is more complex than just saying we will make a new day it's more complex and that involves a lot of higher level math but i like that idea that that a lot of the wars are fought based on whose laws of physics are um in play at any given time um and that's that's the premise of raven stratagem more or less and then um there are some twists in it in terms of uh the book makes us wait a very long time before actually saying well this is actually what happened to that character and what's been going on this whole time and uh that happens kind of toward the toward the end and we get some some resolution of of some of that stuff so raven stratagem complicated strange um scott let's start with you um because i i I, do you remember you're just describing me yes (laughs) complicated and strange scott the scott mcnulty Mm -hmm. story um i know you liked uh nine fox gambit and i think you liked raven stratagem too so what what do you what are your thoughts i did I think like is too faint uh, a word. I uh, I love these books. Mm. uh, And I just finished uh, Revenant Gun, which is the the final installment of the trilogy Uh uh, a few days ago. Um, And I love that as well. This is a podcast footnote. Scott actually reviewed Revenant Gun by Yoon Ha Lee in our brand new podcast called Recently Read, where we talk about the books we just read. Check it out, theincomparable.com slash recently read or search for recently read in your podcast player of choice, and hopefully it will be there. It's new. There's only one episode so far. Check it out. This has all the things in a science fiction novel that I'm looking for. Uh, certainly, Nine Fox Gambit was, when I read it, I had no idea what was going on for about 50% of the book. Um, yeah. And then it kind of made sense. Uh, like, I, I figured out what all this calendar stuff was all about and what these the the, the structure of the government and all that. And suddenly, I, I understood what was going on. Uh, the second book... Uh, gains benefits from having read the f- first book, obviously, because you put all that work into it. So now you kind of understand it. You can hit the ground running. So there's a lot less uh, confusion, uh, but it's still very high concept science fiction, yeah. right? Uh, so it's 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 not easy, no. but you at least get to get the 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 
you know, the mechanics of it down. Uh, and the thing that I really like about this book, there's all this kind of stuff going on. And then it, he also includes the, the servitors, which are robots, uh, that everyone just ignores, uh, but they have their own language and they talk to each other and they're doing things for themselves, uh, which I just find fascinating as well. Um, so, uh, I just really like these books. Um, and you should read them. Uh, and I imagine, and this is what I tell people, uh, you should f- pick up Nine Fox Gambit. And if you don't like the first chapter, stop reading it because you're not going to like the rest <laughs> of the book. Uh, but if you do like the first chapter, be prepared to read all three books back to back because you're just going to be, you're going to be sold, I think. I, for change, I'm Team Scott. Um, <laughs> 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 Yeah, I I really enjoyed the first book. However, I didn't have time to reread any of the first book before I started the second book. So sadly, I was not able to hit the ground running, as Scott so nicely put it. I I did feel lost through a a good chunk of of this book as well. And yet I still did not want to put it down. Like I was reading it over my lunch hour at work and, you know, the the clock would get close to when I had to put the book down. I'd be like, no, I just want to keep reading. And then I get home and I would that would be the first thing I would do. Change the calendar. Yeah, right. Oh. Mm. Why didn't I think of that? Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was, uh, I, I was very interested in this world and I didn't need to really understand what was going on to just, uh, to just want to know what was going to happen next. And I, I don't even have a really good reason for it because <laughs> I, I, I mean, I, I, yeah, I felt a little bit annoyed at not knowing what was going on, but I didn't care that I was annoyed, I guess, is, is sort of what it came down to. And I just, I just wanted to see what happened. And I will, you know, even if it's not nominated for Hugo next year, I, I think I will be reading the next book because I just, I just want to find out what happens in this, in this world. It's a, the, the, the universe is, it's not a happy place. Like, yeah, I didn't no. know what was going on with all the sort of calendrical warfare kind of stuff, but I definitely knew, uh, uh you know, you can pick up that, yes, in order to keep this calendar working the way it's supposed to, they have, you know, mass torturings on a semi-regular basis. There's an entire, you know, part of the hexarchate is like just devoted to, to killing people and and torturing them to, to make sure the trains run on time or something. <laughs> and, and and yeah, so it's it's not a happy place. And I just I want to find out what, what happens to it if it gets to be a happier place at the end of, of these three books. So I'm, I'm on board. <laughs> Yeah, I'm kind of the same. I Nine Fox Gambit was a very long first chapter, it felt like. Like, by the end of it, I was like, oh, I think I've kind of figured out what's going on. I still wasn't really sure. And I still felt that I reread it in preparation for reading Raven Stratagem. Smart. And and, uh, because I was lost, like, through the whole thing. And I was like, I don't remember this universe. I need that. And so... um, so I did reread it and I was still lost throughout Raven Stratagem, but <laughs> I also really enjoy it just because like the things that you, for one thing, if there are inconsistencies in the universe, I'm so confused that I can't spot them, <laughs> but it's, it's this really intricate, you know, we were talking about Anne Lucky and how it sounds like she has a really good picture of this universe in her head. And this is the same way. It's this really complex, rich, um, amazing, not an amazing, like I want to live there, but like amazing <laughs> universe. And it's just fascinating to me. It's one of, the most creative things I have ever 
read or, you know, like anything I've ever consumed. And so I really appreciate it on that level. And um, kind of like Scott, I love the servitors. I want yes. like a little mini series about the servitors and how, you know, how they get things done. And we got a little bit of that in the Raven stratagem. We get some, some servitor point of view stuff, um, which I really appreciated. But um, I, I really, I really enjoy these books. Once I embraced that I wasn't going to really <laughs> understand what was happening in Nine Fox Gambit, I was able to enjoy it. Um, and I, I kind of feel like that's, that's how this is. It's just like embrace being confused and not really understanding and just go through it and, you know, it'll come together in the end and then you'll want to reread it so that you actually understand what's going on. But I liked it a lot. It's definitely one of those books that, uh, and we've talked about these books before, where you have to do some work. They are a little bit hard to understand. It can be really re- rewarding as you figure it out. And if you're somebody who's frustrated by books that are going to keep on challenging you with uh, strange ideas and things that, you, that, that you're just going to have to figure out by reading more and putting the pieces together, then th- these books are not for you because they are, um, th- they are work to, to understand some of it or, you know, you have to put it together. Um, I, I liked this book less than the three of you did um, for that reason, which is I never really, there are, there were moments in both of these books in the, in the original and in the sequel here, Raven Stratagem, that I felt like I was enjoying what was going on and I was really sort of like enjoying what was happening and I wanted to see what happens next. But I would say more often it felt like a struggle. More often it was just, I was pushing against the way that this, the book was written, the writing style, the, uh, the, some of the choices in terms of trying to explain what exactly was going on, the shifts between the different characters, which can be a momentum killer. If you're not particularly invested in some of the characters, I thought it was a little off putting, although I, I get why he did it a little off putting that, that, um, we don't really see the true story of what's going on with, General Jadao until kind of late in the game. Uh, it's a nice kind of reveal, but at the same time, um, it was also a little bit frustrating. Um, so, you know, for these reasons, I'd say I think it's I think it is good, and I think that um, it, it can definitely hit you in the right way, and then you're going to love it like Scott. But for me, I didn't I didn't I was putting in the work and not feeling like I was getting as much out of it as I wanted to. I can see that. So could I. Although I do feel like the this is the kind of book even if you don't like it, you can recognize that uh it is attempting something new. Absolutely. Whereas, like six wakes uh not so sure about yeah. that. I have um, no but. confusion about why this book and its and its predecessor were nominated for awards, right? None at all. It is ambitious, it is smart. It is challenging. Like some of the ideas in it are fascinating. The whole calendrical warfare thing is is interesting. There are a lot of like minor interactions between various characters that are really kind of weird ideas that happen, and then they kind of go off. It's like, well, that's a weird idea, but I'm not going to even pursue that now because I've got this main (laughs) storyline. Like it is packed with stuff. I just, you know, in the end, it was it was more work than joy to to put it together. But there's no doubt in my Mm -hmm. mind why this is not 
nominated for a for a book. And if you're into that sort of thing, you're gonna you're gonna really like it because it is it is very well done. I just didn't get as much joy out of it as I had hoped. Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, I, I, you know, I mentioned in in Providence that there were times where I felt like I wasn't really following all the political machinations that closely. There, I had a lot of times where I felt the same way reading Raven Stratagem, and actually, even on sort of a more granular level, there would be a conversation happening between two characters, and based on the reaction of you know one of those characters, I'd be like, okay, so they obviously just learned something really important from that other guy, but I have no idea what it is because I'm not following. Like because it is work because it's 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 so intricate, um, and and because I don't quite understand the the universe as well as the author does. I, I always felt like I was I was at least two steps behind, um, especially like the smartest and cleverest characters in the book. And and I think those were the moments that I was the most annoyed because I was like, okay, this this sentence right there, that's clearly a reveal. So I would go back and I would reread that sentence like three times and I'd be like, nope, still don't know what it's revealing. <laughs> but I can tell it's supposed to be a reveal because of the way this other person is reacting. And then I would keep reading and like eventually I would figure it out. But um, it did make me feel a little slow times. Yeah, there's some fun. You mentioned it in Providence and in Analecki's previous works. There's some fun um, fun playing with gender in these books, too. Now, Yunaha Lee mm-hmm. is a, a transgender man, um, so definitely ha- he has a lot of personal experience with, um, with gender issues, but there are some fascinating ways where it plays out where you've got a man in, uh, who's the general occupying the body of the woman um, who, you know, are they a merged kind of person and what is their gender is kind of interesting. And there's a lot of referring to the general as he, because historically the general was a he, even though the body the general is in is a woman. And then you also have there in passing the, uh, the Hexarch and the Hexarch's family, like the, the Hexarch has a, has a, uh, a kind of like a body double who is his sibling, who they have, um, I think an on again, off again sexual relationship. So there's uh, there's some very interesting things going on on that level. But also it's it's dashed <laughs> off at one point that um, that this was his little sister, and they changed her gender so that she could be a better double for the Hexarch. So there's a lot of that is going on in this story too in the background, and it's just kind of part of the richness of it that there's like and, and every around every corner there's something like that that makes you uh, think that you know a lot of effort went into this little tiny part of the story that's not super important for the plot, but is another aspect of of, of giving you the sense that you're in this really kind of uh, very alien futuristic world where a lot of the rules are quite different from our world. Yeah, very smart, smart book. Um, even though I didn't like love it, I don't want to hug it. <laughs> if it gets, if the third one gets nominated, I'll I'll read it. I won't complain. I promise. <laughs> I, I promise, Scott. Uh, well, I've read it, and I I think it's going to get nominated. Okay, good. That's fine. I'm okay with it. Uh, speaking of trilogies, our next book is The Stone Sky by N.K. Jemisin, the third mm. book in the trilogy of uh, books that uh, we have read the last couple of years in the Broken Earth trilogy, which began with the uh what was the first book the fifth season 
and then mm-hmm. then the obelisk gate and then the stone sky uh this is the world of the people who are the origins they have the ability to kind of move the earth and cause earthquakes and they lost the moon at one point but they're going to try to get it back and there's a, a woman who uh she and her daughter are both involved in this along with a whole bunch of these stone eaters who are like creatures who were created long ago and um and uh there's a there's like a power struggle about whether they want to bring the moon back or not and there's the family dynamic and it's the culmination of two previous books uh that won lots and lots of awards the stone sky by the way won the nebula award of those seven that we read this is the one that won that and uh nk jemison a very good writer uh, i think scott i think she's gonna be one to watch too I think I think so. Think? She she should uh, yes she should get an agent and because uh, I think she's gonna she's gonna be in this business for a while. So the uh, she should she should get an agent uh, definitely. I think that's good business advice. The Stone Sky, uh, Aline, what do you think about this one? Loved it. I mean, of course, um, and Kay Jemison because of this well because of the fifth season became my favorite author and continues to blow me away. Um, and I. I think it's a great ending to a really solid set of books. Uh, it didn't end maybe exactly the way I wanted it to, but you know, um, but I, I, I loved it. It was, it, it was great. Um, and we've talked about, it. I think this is like the third time because we had the Jemison episode and then we talked about it for the nebulas and now we're talking about it yep. again. So obviously this is a good book. Like we're talking about <laughs> it many times. Um, so if you're listening and you haven't started this trilogy, I really encourage you to do so. Mm-hmm. Yep. I agree. I, I, I mean, endings, endings are tough. Um, I am, I'm a beginning person. I love beginnings. So I would say that, that this was not my favorite book of the three, but it's probably my favorite book of these six. Um, I, I felt like it, it, it did a really nice job of, of sort of closing things off in a way that didn't, at least to me, didn't feel like a cheat. Uh, it, it may not have been, it, it, maybe it didn't hit me in the feels the way that some of the bits of the earlier books did. Uh, but I felt like everything that happened made sense within the world that she had created and all the characters did things that, that, that made sense based on what they had done before. Uh, so I, I, I enjoyed it and I, I was just really excited to see how this was going to how this was going to all wrap up and you know what's what's the deal with the moon like all mm. that kind of stuff uh, <laughs> was, but I, I really enjoyed it well that's one of the great magic tricks that um, that the fifth season plays is it hints at several points about the moon and the fact that it never talks about the moon and at the very end it reveals that that is super important <laughs> and actually basically the overarching plot of the whole trilogy. Um, but it, it does it in a very clever way. Um, and, and there's so, so much in here. I mean, I likened it to the X-Men at one point. I could also liken it to Harry Potter. These are like people who are taken to like an academy at the origins are, and they're a persecuted minority, but they can also be uh, given these jobs because they are incredibly powerful and they're trying to be kind of controlled by society. And that continues here where it's the, it's basically an apocalypse has been caused by one of the characters in the previous books. And, uh, but to a purpose of sort of ultimately healing the earth, we get a lot of backstory in these books too about sort of like what the distant past was. There's that kind of eerie abandoned city. That's like the city of the stone eaters that that's on the other side of the planet. And it's sort of, um, 
uh there's a lot of uh yeah weird stuff with the uh with the stone eaters and and the empty city that i thought was really interesting too scott uh your your feelings uh i will just echo what everyone has said this is a fantastic book a fantastic series she's a great writer i think uh she's gonna win herself a hugo so yeah quite quite possibly to go with that nebula Mm -hmm. exactly all right well then let's move along to the collapsing empire which is the first book in a new series by john scalzi who you may know from uh lots of other books that he's written he he did uh the old man's war series which i think there are like five or six books in that series he did um he did red shirts he did Lock Lock In, is that right? And that has a sequel. Mm-hmm. Yep. A sequel Head that's on. just out now. Um and the Collapsing Empire is meant to be the uh the first in a, a series about uh about a collapsing star empire where basically uh people are figuring out that um that the connections between the points in the empire are uh are falling apart and so society is going to fall apart with it and there's different characters in different places there's hub which is the center of all of this and then there is end which is the most distant planet and the idea here is that what happens when all the connections it's a it's like an apocalypse on a very 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 large scale as um the the things that tie these planets together begin to fall apart um and the fact that the planets are so interdependent in terms of trade right that, uh, you know even though it may be uh, uh, well actually none of them are really planets they're mostly space stations around planets so when when the empire collapses and they're cut off they're not actually self-sufficient so eventually all those people are probably just probably gonna die, die. yeah that's right it's it's as if he's trying to tell a story about how everything is interrelated and that if something that doesn't <laughs> seem to affect you could actually create some sort of an ecological collapse that would affect you after all. That's just, you know, I don't know. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Erica, what do you think of this one? I liked it. Um, this particular flavor of interstellar intrigue isn't really my jam, um, but I really I liked the characters in it enough that I was I was sort of swept along. Uh, I did have trouble keeping them straight a little bit at first because there are a lot of characters because it's 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 a big it's a bigger story. We talked about Provenance sort of being a smaller story. This this definitely felt more galaxy spanning. Um, but I, I like the fact that there was a, a variety of personalities and. And I, one of the things I liked the best was that even when there were characters that I didn't like, there would be chapters told from their point of view. So I would be seeing things through their eyes. I would understand their motivations. So there's, there's not a lot of black and white in terms of these are the good guys, these are the bad guys. It's, you know, this character is trying to achieve these actions and this is, these are his motivations and that's why he's doing things. Um, and yeah, that makes him a dick, but he's a dick because of these things. Um, so like there were moments where I almost found myself rooting for some of the characters that I, I didn't really like just because I was seeing the world through their point of view, uh, which is that's I mean, I feel like that's a good that's a good trick when an author can get me to buy in that way. Um, and the other thing about it that I really liked is um, a thing that really is my jam is is watching a, a newbie sort of having to get used to a, a new place, a new, you know, new palace, new power, that sort of thing. And you have a character in here who is uh, who is taking over and trying to trying to find their way through um, the uh, 
the politics and stuff, which is not a thing that they were accustomed to. That that bit of it kind of reminded me a little bit of the Goblin Emperor, which we talked about a while back, um, which is a book that I really, really, really loved. Um, so that was it was a bit of a double edged sword that it reminded me of a book that I liked a lot better. But <laughs> it, was, it was this was still this is still fun. Scott, so. Jonathan Scalzi. Uh, I don't even know if it, is it just John. It may not even I think be it's just John. John Scalzi. Uh, I he is um, a very entertaining writer, uh, and of course, he, his books are immensely popular. Uh, I do not think that his writing is all that interesting. Uh, his stories are interesting, but his actual like his writing is kind of standard writing, I feel like, and uh, The Collapsing Empire uh, kind of fits into that. Um, I enjoyed it. I'm... I'm not surprised that it was nominated because he's so popular. Mm-hmm. But if I feel like if this were written by someone else, this would not be a Hugo-nominated mm, novel. Interesting, Aline. I kind of agree with that. Scalzi, his books are kind of like popcorn. Um, like they're they're easy to read. They, you know, they're not they're not necessarily hard books, um, which I really appreciate after like Raven Stratagem and Providence. You know, well, especially um, the, the paperbacks. Yeah. They're not. They're not. Hard at all. <laughs> they're, not mm. they're not. Um, and Old Man's War is one of my favorite books. Was, I, I just thought it was brilliant. But I kind of read this and was like, oh, it's kind of a standard Scalzi book. Um, it you know it goes down easy, but I didn't feel particularly challenged. I um, I felt like I was able to predict what was happening a lot of the time before the, you know, the quote unquote big reveal. Um, and so I kind of agree with Scott that if it wasn't a Scalzi book, it would have gone completely unnoticed. Um, that's not to say I didn't enjoy it. Like I said, I like popcorn, but I, it just, it's, it's, it's a good book. It's just not a great book. I, uh, I kind of agree. Um, I enjoy his writing. I think, I think Scott, his writing is not particularly, um, impressive in terms of style, but I do think he's very good at storytelling and that he, he moves mm-hmm. the plot along. It's fun yep. to read his books. He has lots of ideas. Um, there are, you know, it, it's not, he, yeah, he's not going to win fans. I think with his style, he's actually a very casual, very informal writer but i do think he moves it along and i appreciate that when i read his books i'm like ah it's it's scalzy it's like it's 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 easy it's like easy to read it's a good fast easy read and there's something to be said (laughs) for that um and i do like his books a lot um i had a lot of skepticism about lock-in and then i read it because the plot seemed or the premise seemed so convoluted and then i read it and i was like oh no this is good it's scalzy it's good he does a good job i agree i think He's so famous at this point that he's going to get noticed for things that are maybe slight. And this is my problem with this book is it's a prologue to a series. I don't know how long the series is going to be. Um, it feels very much. And again, I know enough about him that I know that this is probably true. Um, and it may be not fair if, if it had been a random person, I might not have made this judgment, but I think maybe I would, which is it feels like a product built to generate a universe and a series of novels, and a television pitch, um, and that 
you know, that gives me some pause. It it just feels kind of slight. There are there are good characters in it. There's there's the you know the kid who's been on the the, the literally the last planet and gets set sent to the middle of this empire to meet the emperor, and that is a fun thing. And then you've got other people who are kind of stuck at the back end of 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 space, and uh, and it, it it augurs kind of like an interesting story about the 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 empire falling apart. But this book is prologue. It is setting things up. It does feel like it's more about establishing um, a a a, uh, a product line than being a really good novel unto itself. And that's that's a part about it that I don't like. It was a fun read, but I got to the end and I really did sort of feel like that's it. Um, because <laughs> mm-hmm. this is not something that is, let's make a really good novel and then see where it goes. This was like, I've got an idea for a big series and we can sell the movie rights and mm-hmm. I'll start it with this prelude. And fair enough. He's a big enough star that he can do that. But as a, as a novel reader, I read it and I felt like, you know, I basically am investing in his, <laughs> in his production process and not actually getting, um, quite enough of a novel for what I paid. Yes. Yeah, it didn't feel super novelly in in that in that way. Although I guess I could have said the same thing about um, the first N.K. Jemisin book as well. Like that was clearly setting up for other things. But here it did it it, it didn't feel like it was taking me on the same kind of emotional journey that that did. So it wasn't as uh, like I I may or may not read the next book in the series. I'm honestly not sure. And I mean I enjoy reading Scalzi's books. Yeah. It's just like does it deserve to be nominated for an award? Uh, I'm not sure that it does, but it is because it's a Scalzi yeah. book. So mm-hmm. well, I think um, I think there are other books that he's written that had more weight to them that did deserve mm-hmm. to be nominated. This is not for one sure. of those. This is mm-hmm. a much you know they're just, it just you know you buy a box of cereal and then it turns out there's just an awful lot of air in the bag and there's not as much cereal. <laughs> <laughs> that's what this is it's like there's not yeah. but there's a good there's a good toy in there i like cereal the cereal is fine there's just not as much of it as i really think there maybe should be that's what i'm saying more than anything yes. else also if you want to find out what happens to that cereal you have to buy another box that's not how cereal works all right uh not even alphabets work that way okay let's move on to book number six then we've reached <gasps> ksr what? Kim Stanley Robinson, New York oh, 2140. Dear. Kim Stanley Robinson, an author who uh, some of us have sort of said some bad things about his books lately, <laughs> like Aurora and the yeah. 2313 like, or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So this is New York 2140. It's the latest and greatest by KSR, as Scott once told me, is how all of the uh, the fans refer to him. It's set in, guess what? New York in the year 2140. I know, what? right? I wrote that Spoiler. down. It was, uh, and the, uh, the seas have risen, and society has changed when these two pulses of flooding based on melting ice. Um, and New York, so, the southern part of New York is flooded. Um, the northern part, which is a little bit more above sea level, is sort of where the financial centers have have moved to. Although there, there's also this talk throughout this book about Denver, which is basically Denver is even a, kind of a generic concept for all the places that people have retreated to to get away from the ocean but higher ground in the tide in the tidal area where the tides roll in and out there are still buildings standing and there are people there trying to make the most of life in the tidal zone and therein lies our story because in one of these buildings are 
uh, are all of our main characters who live in this building at some point or other. And we have, we have like a, a video, a viral video star. There's this dude bro who's like into, he's like a hedge fund guy and he's got a boat and he likes to pick up women. He's got He's got champagne in the refrigerator in the boat. Yeah, he does. Just to impress He's them. ready. He is ready yep. for everything. There is the, there's a police officer. There's a, a woman who works for a, a charity and get, and doesn't get along with the mayor. Or is it a charity or it's like a union? Uh, there's the two mm-hmm. rascally kids and they're, <laughs> uh, and they're uh, kind of old, cranky old guy mentor who has a lot of maps who's, tr- they're trying to find buried treasure. There's the guy who manages the building. There, who am I forgetting? There, it is a huge cast big, yeah. of characters mm-hmm. who live in this building that's in the intertidal, and it is a story about um, some things that they do to try to affect change in their world, um, on the, the locally and globally. And also, it's an excuse for Kim Stanley Robinson to depict a a, a world about where um, where climate change has led to massive sea level rise. And what the effects of that are on a lot of our assumptions, and that New York gets hit by a, a mega hurricane late in the in the story because that's part of this too. And uh, yeah, and and then you know in the end, yeah, they they affect some some um, social change, uh, but it is it's funny because it's not yeah it, it's just it's the stories of these people who live in this building and basically what New York in twenty one forty where it's flooded is kind of like and that is uh, New York twenty one forty so. Um, Aline, what did you think of New York 2140? Uh, so I was really dreading this. Uh, like <laughs> You and I read Aurora and yeah. neither of us liked it. <laughs> yep. 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 I, like Aurora, I didn't even finish. I tried skimming like the last half the day we recorded the podcast because I was <laughs> just like, I can't do this. Um, and so I was really, really dreading it. I saved it for last. I finished it today. Um, and I, I actually, I enjoyed it. But it was long. <laughs> like it, I actually, long. it was um so sometimes what I do as I'm doing this is I'll get like both the Audible book and the Kindle book so that I can read them. Like if I'm doing stuff around the house, then I can listen to it and then if I'm in bed or whatever I can read. And that's the approach I take with this. But when I saw that the audiobook was twenty hours long, I ended Oof. up going to a bookstore and pulling it off the shelf so I could see just how big it was. Um <laughs> So I, um, I liked it. I just thought it was, it was way too long. And I felt like there was this little tiny thread of, of like through plot. And the rest of it was just an excuse to tell a bunch of stories about characters. And that was okay. Um, you know, that's how, um, the long way to a small angry planet is, is it's got this little teeny like spider web running through it. And then the rest of it is just an excuse to, to tell stories about people. Um, and I just, I just thought it was too much of that. Um, although, uh, someone in the incomparable member Slack said they were like, you know, I'd really like to see, you know, like a soap opera of these characters. <laughs> and I kind of agree. They were interesting, entertaining characters. You know, the two kids, the little rapscallions, I like them a lot. Um, <laughs> I, I, there were moments that I really appreciated, um, Kim Stanley Robinson's writing. Like there's something about, uh, the, the cappuccino froth of the, 
the canals or something like that because it had been like a windy day or just after the hurricane or something. And um, there were these moments where I pulled out those things that I like where I was like, oh, that was a really nice way, a really um, imagery rich way of putting that. And I really, really enjoyed that. Um, I didn't appreciate, and we talked about this a little bit in Slack earlier, um, but there were a couple of things like I felt like when physical descriptions came into things, it was in a way I didn't really, uh, of people, it was in a way I didn't appreciate. And part of it was because a lot of those, um, the most memorable uh, pieces or the ones that stood out most to me are the ones that came from a very like womanizing character. Um, but there was also like this big emphasis on, you know, this black female police officer and how she was intimidating because she was black and tall. And um, I was like, hmm. I don't, I, I don't know. So, you know, I I, I kind of had some of those moments throughout it, too. So, like, I liked it. I didn't love it. And I feel like it could have been, like, 200 pages shorter. It's 624 pages. For those who read the ebook, the hardcover is 624 Oof. pages. It is long. I uh, I also finished it today. Um, and I did finish it. And I, I, I certainly liked it better than Aurora. But I don't think I even liked it as much as, as Aline did. Um, it, yeah, it was so long. And, and yes, some of those descriptions of, of the, the water and the canals and the ice and all that kind of stuff were good, but there was so much of it. I mean, people complain about Tolkien. Good grief. He's got nothing on Kim Stanley Robinson in this particular book. Um, there was just, there was, there was a lot of that. And it's interesting too, because Aline, you pointed out something that I also noticed. There's a lot of description of, the the planet and the weather and the effects of that there really is not that much physical description of people so when there is it stands out and most of most of what there is made me uncomfortable on on one level or another it's um, always women yeah it, it's it really always was. women mm-hmm. I, I mean i can kind of picture the the hedge fund guy because i know at one point they 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 mentioned that his hair was was kind of blondish um but i can't really picture the physicality of almost any other character uh, except for a couple of uh, actually I guess all of the women one of whom spent uh, a, a good amount of her TV stardom cloud stardom naked mm-hmm. um, so I mean at least there were no like super lascivious descriptions of that but it's mentioned a bunch of times um, so so yeah it was just the the fact that 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 those particular descriptions are thin on the ground and it's 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 just all women and then the women are also referred to by multiple point of view characters as our so and so or my so and so and I like I was I was watching for that once I noticed it watching for that with the male characters and I didn't come up with any um any examples of it but I guess it was late enough in the the slog of reading it uh, that maybe I just didn't notice that it happened earlier on because there's a lot of there's a lot of book there to to get through. Um, I, I agree that that some of his his writing style is is really good. I mean, just the the cadence of of the way that he he wrote things and how it would switch depending on which point of view character we were we were telling the story from. Uh, that was fascinating to me. He did a great job of like I could I could just feel by the way that the sentences were put together. This is either you know character A or character B in some cases, and this. Once again, this world very well thought out. You know, it, this it, it isn't a galactic empire. It's 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 our planet, but it is our planet that he's clearly spent an awful lot of time thinking about the ramifications of what would happen if the water level rose, and you know, invented some future technology that allows people to to be able to live, and like diamond spray that that insulates the the buildings from the water, you know, underneath. Right. Um, yep. 
Yep. And I mean, they, I, I thought that the, 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 the little spidery through line that, that Annette mentioned that was, was interesting because you had some, you know, the, the, the hostile takeover of the building that these people care about. And like there were, so there were, there were bits and pieces of, of the, the story and the characters that I, I really liked, but there was just so much other stuff, so much description of finance, which I could not care less about. And I mean, that's just me, <laughs> but there's a lot of it in there and uh, an awful lot about the the specific science of how the world got to the way that it is which is it's interesting i just i wish that that was all in an appendix or something like i didn't have to get go through it to get to the parts where i saw characters interacting with each other and and you know learning about themselves and each other so yeah i'm i, I was gonna say i'm happy i finished it i'm not even sure i am i gotta be honest it was, it's it's it you know it's uh-huh. it's a it's a very well put together well written book but it's just it wasn't for me and there was too much of it. All right. <laughs> the other thing was there like mentions of like FedEx. I'm like in 2140 is FedEx going to be really important or talking <laughs> about putting like um like ankle bracelets on like these two kids and I'm like in 2140 are we still going to rely on ankle brace- bracelets to track <laughs> Uh, to track people and I know that you have to have like modern touchstones part of it is you know like how much really can you imagine for a book and then part of it is like you have to have modern touchstones for modern you know today's readers so that they can relate to what's happening unless you're you and and then you don't that's yeah that was actually one of my big complaints about this book was that I felt like there were way too many times where I felt like society and culture had not changed since 2018 and it's and it's supposed to be 2140 and that was that was one of my problems with it is i know yes it's a nice way to do shorthand they're just like us they have all the same issues that we do they're just slightly more advanced but it didn't it didn't feel like this was a culture that had advanced uh and changed over 120 years from now it it felt very much like now except underwater (laughs) which made it so depressing i think that was the other big problem i had with it is just that like yeah it's it's all the same problems we have now and guess what we've got a lot of crappy problems right now which i feel awful about now and reading this the story about how nothing's going to be better in the future made me feel terrible the woman in the airship is she's just a youtuber like there's no mm-hmm. yeah that's all she's just a youtuber she's you know it's not <laughs> it's not what if a youtuber was but 120 years in the future it's like no pretty much just she's a youtuber i do like that she has polar bears that she takes to antarctica to try to save them and then like terrorist neutron bomb <laughs> antarctica that, that was a that was a like nothing that. else about nope. that nope. <laughs> that's just she really bums her out that she lost her polar bears and then mm. they move on with something else it's just a um yeah it, there's it but it definitely yeah that was one of the things that that struck me at several points it was like really this is supposed to be the future it's not even like it's just now like i mean even the the, the um the hedge fund guy and his boat and his his champagne and all that and the, hanging out with his young pretty friends that he that he's doing at the beginning like that didn't feel other than that he he has to take a boat around lower manhattan it did not feel particularly um future e in mm-hmm. any way and i mean our culture has changed a lot in the last 120 years i would say so you presume that there would be more of that i guess the point would be that it's kind of not what he's trying to tell the story he's trying to tell here but i did get frustrated at that point that he's like i'm gonna hold that steady while all this other stuff changes and i don't know scott all right scott likes kim stanley robinson books when other people don't (laughs) so i'm curious what he thought of this one scott uh, well, so I, I like Kim Robin Stanley books when other people K- don't. Uh, yes, Kim. Stan uh, I, Robin Kim's. 
books. Yes, <laughs> I am uh, originally from New York, so I have a predilection to enjoy stories set in New York City. Yonkers! Exactly. I live in a co-op, so ah. uh, a, a story that is set basically in a co-op uh, appeals to me, and the, the idea that uh, the residents are in love with their building but also don't want to do anything about it uh it resonates mm-hmm. uh because that is exactly how co-ops are um and i do believe that i enjoy the fact that he kim uh, ksr as we call him yes. has been writing for a long time in many ways about uh coming ecological disaster uh in scientific journals in science fiction books he's obsessed with it he's been trying yep. to tell people about it. He's part of a, a, a vanguard of people and scientists who have been raising these alarms. And um, I feel like he's written this book and he mentions it in the book, in the like the citizen chapter uh, of science fiction writers who've been writing about this for 20 years and no one cares. Uh, yep. And so I think his central thesis is nothing's changing because everyone's ignoring it. And uh, this is going to happen. The planet's going to change. Humanity is not. We're always going to have the same stupid problems because we are the same stupid animals that we ignore everything. Uh, and the same silly things that we care about are going to happen uh, over and over again. And even though New York is basically uninhabitable, people will still be moving there yeah. because it's New York City and it makes no sense, but it's just what it is. And I kind—I buy that because it makes no sense yeah. right now. It makes no sense for anyone to move to New York City. It is too expensive. There's no reason to live there other than it is New York City. And I think if it was flooded underwater, people would still go there because that's just the way it is. I, I really enjoy that, that aspect of it. The fact that not only that, but there's like financial machinations and yes. people are people sabotaging make these money off underwater <laughs> buildings because they want to reduce their value because they want to buy them up. Like, right, so they can sell them later. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, because uh, the hedge and fund I, guy, I, en- yeah. I enjoy a, a shaggy dog story, so there's a lot of ambling about and nothing mm-hmm. is really happening and, and Kim, uh, KSR just wants to tell the story on this backdrop and tell us about how it's going to happen, uh, in his way. Um, and, and so I, I did like that and I did like, I did have some problems with, uh, some of the, the, the woman, the portrayals of the woman characters, especially the, the woman who, uh, made her fame, uh, getting naked on uh, the internet i thought well this is kind of uh icky uh but he doesn't dwell on it and he really she turns out to be a very smart character he could have made her just like that one kind of note thing but i feel like she's smarter than a lot of the other people in this book so i was okay with it uh and plus i really enjoyed the scene with uh the polar bears escaping and her having to make uh, her uh robot blimp go straight up so that they will slide back into where they were uh <laughs> yep. i just enjoyed that immensely uh so i like this book a lot it's not surprising uh uh it, it it had many things that i enjoyed uh and i like I, I think he has kind of his bag of tricks that he he brings out in all of his books and they are in full display here and they work for me so uh i enjoyed it i here's the surprise scott I liked it too. What? <laughs> Gasp! Because I I have not liked his last two books that I've read, um, but I liked it. I did. I like the story is fun. It does. It is a long book, but the story is fun. These different intersecting people, and they've all got different things going on, and that pulled me through the story. The point is that it's set in the backdrop of 
uh, of you know very serious climate change with ramifications when we're talking about these huge rise in ocean levels and how that changes the game for all this stuff and people will still be there but you know the part of the message is this is what the new normal looks like it looks very different from what you're used to um i th- so you mentioned there are these segments that are by this like the uh, an, uh, an observer kind of mm-hmm. not a character and um some of those i liked and some of those i hated um <laughs> because that was the most obvious authorial insertion and he Mm -hmm. like tries to plaster it over and say oh it's from a concerned citizen of the new york of 2140 but it's really not it's really just kim stanley robinson saying things that he doesn't he wants to get in there but he can't find a way to work it into the story so he's just going to write some essays about what's going on in this world and um you know, again, some of them I liked because it was kind of a light touch and some of them were super heavy handed and they made me roll my eyes and I didn't. I, and I, I, oh, I think in balance, I didn't like them um, I, because they just they got me. They really frustrated me after a while. But the characters are fun. Um, there is some interesting action. There's some intrigue. They do sort of spark a revolution after the hurricane where they, uh, they try to create a kind of financial collapse in order to get the, uh, the financial system to work a little bit more in their favor, which is kind of fun. And they're, and they're building the, the, uh, the, the hedge fund guy now has this idea of investing in, in, uh, real estate in building new buildings, in that are designed to be in the tidal zone and in the water so more people mm-hmm. can move to new york which i i don't know i thought that was a really funny turn of events because it's like <laughs> is that good i guess but also it's just in the water it's, you're just okay all right and fine. wouldn't they have come up with that by now that was my thing with it it was like so you've been underwater for how long and you've had these technologies for how long and you're the first person to think about it at nah. the book. Um, well, he's the first person with money to think about it is I think sort of that's the idea there is that, mm-hmm. is that he's the, cause he runs the fund that's estimating the value of the underwater real estate, which, you know, is a funny idea in itself. But the idea there is that, um, you know, he he can manipulate that and he knows where it's going and he, and they've got access to the I, I, we haven't mentioned it yet access to the buried treasure that the kids find at one point uh, which is hilarious which is also very <laughs> <laughs> it's almost drowned but then they find the buried treasure thanks to the old man and his maps which they save from the building because it's going to fall over in the because it's melting in the in the water anyway uh so I, that's what i took away is that he is the first person to be able to do that be, with some money behind him and also that it's a turning point where there's this sort of idea that they're going to invest in the water real estate um and grow it again because that you get the sense like the reason that they're being sabotaged in their building is because some has finally figured out that there is value to be had in all that underwater real estate, that it's not a write-off, that it's going to have value. And, um, and Franklin has the idea that he's going to, uh, he's going to be able to like take his money and, and his connections, and they're going to actually make new underwater real estate. Yay! 
Um, I don't know. It's it's it is it is very long, but a lot of good characters, a lot of interesting stuff. I think the hurricane scenes are really gripping. I, I really liked when they're under siege in the hurricane, and there's that harrowing moment where they're where they bring the tugboat. So the guy who's the manager, his girlfriend, his uh, sorry, his ex-wife, sort of mm-hmm. turned girlfriend, mm-hmm. and they lost a child, mm-hmm. and that's revealed late in the story about why they're on the outs because um, he just brings the kids to her so that they can find the buried treasure. They go out <laughs> to save people in the wake of the hurricane um, or while, while the hurricane's still going on and there's that, that harrowing moment where the, the boat gets kind of like blown up against a building and it crushes a couple of people to death who are trying to jump on the boat and they have to just kind of keep going on. I thought that was a really um, good moment of just sort of like the horror of the scene that they're going through and they're trying to save people but but um, they're also not saving some of the people. Um, so yeah, it's a mess and there are parts of it that I didn't like but in general, I think it was good and I think it's what um, I want to see out of science fiction novels in the sense of he's got a point of view about what's going to happen in the future and what especially if we don't change our behavior and he's going to show it to us and tell a little story with that as the backdrop and so yeah all in all i liked it i think if i would have had more time to read it i was trying to read it quickly um or if it had been you know a a series of, of short stories published in a magazine over like a long period of time i probably would have liked it a lot more because because i really did like all the characters and i think my favorite part about it was how they all you know slowly came together to form sort of this team kind of by the end of it and we're working together and yeah like i find myself wondering yeah what what does happen to these folks later on um so you know like i there's a part of me that wants to to know more but just the way it was packaged felt onerous i think all right well ksr there it is (laughs) yeah i suppose (laughs) so now i'm curious how everybody would rank Oh, these books. <sighs> oh, man. Uh-huh. I don't know, I don't know why I'm surprised. I don't know why you are this, either, but, but I, I'll tell you what. I will go first and tell you how I order them uh, from favorite to least favorite. Um, and I think it was a pretty good group. I would say uh, The Stone Sky first, Providence second, The Collapsing Empire third, I liked New York 2140. I didn't like it that much. New York 2140, 4th, 6 Wakes, 5th, and yes, I'm putting Raven Stratagem 6th. Not because it was bad. I thought they were all fine, but because I enjoyed it the least of the 6. So that's, that's my 6. Uh, does somebody else want to run through their uh, their ranking? Sure. Okay. I can do it. I've, uh, I, I have actually rearranged things. I have a spreadsheet, of course. Um, of course <laughs> you do. Re- Goodness. I've rearranged things a couple of times, actually, since we've been talking here. So I will tell you what my order is right now. That might change by the time I actually vote for the Hugos. But at the moment, uh, I also have the Stone Sky first. I have Raven Stratagem second. Third is currently six wakes, but it's really, really, really close to Provenance. So I'm not sure if that's going to stay that way uh, for a whole lot longer. Uh, then the Collapsing Empire and then New York 2140. I am going to uh, list New York 2140 first. Uh, I don't think it's going to win, but uh, it, it was my favorite. Uh, followed very closely by Stone Sky, which I do think is going to win. Uh, then followed very closely by Raven Stratagem. Uh, and then followed less closely by Providence, although I, I thought it was good. Uh, and then there's a gap. And then there's Six Wakes. And then there's another gap. And then the Collapsing Empire. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and Aline? So I've been thinking about this since I finished the book early this afternoon, and I'm still not sure, but I think I'm going to go with, of course, number one, The Stone Sky. Um, second, I'm, 
I'm thinking Provenance. I loved, I, I liked it quite a bit. Um, third, Raven Stratagem. Fourth, The Collapsing Empire. Fifth, Six Wakes. I just couldn't get past the typos. And <laughs> sixth, uh, New York 2140, just because it was too long and I disagree with some of the way that women were written in it. So. All right. Well, then I will, I will, of course, put our collective rank uh in the uh in the show notes but uh you will be shocked to know that the stone sky of course is the number one number one ranked of of all of those um before we go you know there are other hugo categories and um i didn't read all of the fiction but I wondered if people who had read some of the fiction, I've read some of it, um, had particular stories that they wanted to recommend. Um, I think all the short stories and many of the novelettes are online to, that you can read for free. Um, and the ones that you can't read for free, you can probably find uh, in places like Uncanny Magazine. Well, that is, is all of Uncanny's archive free? It is. Yeah. Yep. So there you go. So that you can find most of this stuff. Um, uh Erica, do you want to go first? There's some some short fiction out there that you want to recommend people check out? Sure. I mean, I obviously, I recommend that you check out everything that's on Uncanny Magazine. Sure. Because uh, so, I think it's all great. Um, I do actually want to recommend one story that was not in Uncanny Magazine, uh, and that was a short story called Carnival Nine yeah. by Caroline Joachim. I am not usually a real sap or a real softy when it comes to short stories. It, it tends to take at least the length of a novella to get me invested in in a character or a story for it to like burrow deep into my soul and like make a den there that just doesn't happen very much but this story was just the most powerful exception even just like thinking of it Mm -hmm. right now is kind of making me missed up um and it is made up of a bunch of things i am really not fond of it's circuses it's dolls that are animate it's Uh clockwork stuff i hate clockwork stuff i don't like steampunk but apparently when when Caroline Joachim takes those and mixes them together and tells this story about disability and how dis- disabled people are seen and more importantly not seen in our society uh-huh. it just oh my god it just hit me in the heart and it literally made me cry a lot and i cannot recommend it enough it was just just beautiful and and powerful and everybody should read it yeah i agree um I will well I will recommend something uh maybe even a couple things from Uncanny. Um <gasps> best novella uh Sarah Ping- Pinsker 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 yep. Sarah Pinsker wrote a novella that you can read for free called And Then There Were N minus <laughs> 1. So good. Which is a parallel universe murder mystery set in a Canadian on a Canadian island in a a resort hotel that is cut off from the rest of the world by a storm. It is uh, the site of a convention of people largely named Sarah Pinsker. Yep. It's all of her parallel universe versions of herself. One of them is murdered. The author, Sarah Pinsker, is present but never described. The main <laughs> character is an alternate Sarah Pinsker who is an insurance investigator who ends up basically being the detective trying to find out who killed this one particular Sarah Pinsker with Sarah Pinsker's nebula statue. Yep. And this sounds very like, very like silly and arch and, and insular. And it is not. It is 
brilliant and funny and uh, about the choices we make and the choices we don't and what happens if you're confronted with them. And like, literally she is the main character is confronted with herself in all of her ways that she did and did not do things in her life. Um, really, really good. I recommend it um, highly. I also recommend, um, I want to recommend a delightful short story that got nominated called fandom for robots um, by Vina Jimin Prasad which is about a clunky, clanky 1950s robot who is sentient and in a museum. And is he, as part of the one show that they do where they bring out the sentient robots and have people ask them questions, he's asked if he's seen a particular anime. Um, and he hasn't. So in his off time, he watches the anime and logs onto the internet and reads all the fan fiction and begins writing fan fiction about a robot character in the anime because, of course, he's a robot. It's so weird and it's great. I liked it a lot. Um, and the other the other ones I wanted to recommend, um, Sarah Pinsker again, she wrote a story called Wind Will Rove that got nominated for the Novelette. It's an Asimov's. It is a uh, set on a generation ship. It is about um, history and memory and how, um, how our retelling of history has... Um, is altered by the perspective of the tellers is sort of the big picture. Um, And there's also um, that like people fiddling in space. It's like fiddlers in space. Like that, that's what it is. It's like uh, folk music fiddling in uh, outer space. But uh, that, I thought that was really good. And um, I have one more, my favorite short story of all the nominees is called, the Martian Ob- Obelisk by Linda Nagata, who I read her uh-huh. novel that she was nominated for a, a couple of years ago. Um, and that, in again, a very small number of wor- words tells this story about sort of like er- like like a Kim Stanley Robinson kind of story of an Earth that's falling apart mm-hmm. and has lost hope. Um, and I found it ultimately, um, it, it is the most optimistic a- apocalypse story I think you will <laughs> ever read. I liked it a lot. So I haven't read... Um, all the nominees yet, but I think all of those are worth um, worth your attention. Oh, I've got stuff to look forward to because I also have not finished oh. reading all of them yet either. And Aline and, and Scott, have you read any of those? Nope. You, Scott, you read um, <laughs> you read All Systems Red, um, the Murderbot Diaries, which got nominated for novella. I was I was going to you 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 pluck the words from you my, recommended my mouth, it Jason. in a previous what are you reading uh, I I did it's great uh, it is the first book in the Murderbot Diaries <laughs> so if that name doesn't sell you I don't know what will nothing I say will sell you if you don't aren't intrigued by the concept of a murderbot uh, or a murderbot with a conscience as the case uh, in this book uh, so yeah it's really good uh, I would check it out and I think uh, there well there is another one and. Um, I think two more are coming out and they're, they're coming out in like three month, three month intervals. So, uh, you can, you can read them there and I will echo your recommendation, uh, for the Martian obelisk. I read that, uh, that is the only short story that I've read. Uh, and I thought it was fantastic. Yeah. It's Linda Nagata. It's really good. Like mm-hmm. it's, yeah, it's good. Uh, the, the short story is like Carnival nine is like this too. The density of a short story as somebody who used to long, long ago, um, publish short stories on, in a magazine on the internet. Um, we, we had a rule, which was the shorter it is, the more spectacular it needs to be. 
Um, like there needs to be some level of density. If you're going to write 2000 words, like it really needs to kill it at 2000 words. And I was amazed by both Carnival Nine, uh, well, Car- Carnival Nine Phantom for Robots and the Martian Obelisk all do it. But the Martian Obelisk for me was the standout. That was the best one. It was just a huge impact in a very few words. Um, Linda Nagata, another one to watch. <laughs> <laughs> that's right multiple she's nominee just many off times. Her career, yeah. but uh i think she'll she'll do all right yeah i think she can be okay uh any other hugo business that we should bring up before we go other than to wish erica well in her uh the awards are going to be handed out in august at worldcon which yep. is in san jose i guess i should mention mm-hmm. we'll probably have like a meetup or something for the incomparable because a bunch of incomparable people will be there yeah um, i'll be there and you'll be there because you might win awards well, I I don't know about that. I'm just, it it is it, it sounds cheesy, but it literally really is just an honor to be nominated. Yeah. I'm so serious. Aww. It really is. I wouldn't know. <laughs> <laughs> Nor will you ever. It's true. I refuse. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. Well, so that'll be a Worldcon in San Jose, California. If you're thinking of going, San Jose is a very nice place, uh, despite what Scott says. I was about to say it is not a nice place to be. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. My I my agree. experience is mostly at the at the Apple Developers Conference, where it was it was uh, after walking around in downtown San Francisco for many years. It was kind of nice to walk around San Jose, where it's a little bit warmer and uh, the streets are a little bit wider and less crowded and all of those things. Oh. Well, I did have barbecue with you in San yeah. Jose. Jason, See, the so company is good. good. I, I yes. can't promise barbecue for everyone. Although that was a pretty good place, I'd go back there. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> all right. Well, this is not a barbecue podcast, although. Mm. <laughs> Mm. tempting mm. tempting that's right you had peanut butter pie i do oh, that was so good uh anyway <laughs> <laughs> i all that remains is for me to thank my peanut butter pie i mean my guest <laughs> scott mcnulty thank you jason you've always been my peanut butter pie <laughs> yeah all right uh eric Hansen, you can be the barbecue sauce Ooh, i'll take it and aline sims you are the baked beans <laughs> okay i don't sure, know yeah would you want to be the cornbread there's not a lot left i don't want to make you the chicken <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's fine all it's right fine. okay it's fine. anyway you lemonade I, I put you all together oh. and you know what you get is a delightful podcast meal and i will be the plate i'll be the paper plate <laughs> about that <laughs> anyway i don't know uh read some books read some short stories people who've listened this far there's a lot of good stuff out there i was very i think we all would would agree that um some years it is difficult to get through the short list and this year i i did not have a single book that made me wish that i could stop reading it uh and and made me like like i i i despise this book which happens every year not this year even though the books i didn't like that much like i was able to get through them all that's good it's a good year. agreed all right well thank you everybody for listening to this edition of the incomparable we'll see you next week when we begin something completely different the summer of marvel we'll see you then goodbye everybody goodbye